day when Jesus Christ returns to earth in glory. There will be a day when Jesus Christ returns to earth in glory. So there will be a day when, as we carry out our normal routine, suddenly the earth will shake violently uh, before us, that we will hear a sort of cacophony of noise almost deafening. We and every single person around us will have an immediate view of the skies and in almost unimaginable splendor we will see our Savior return to call his people home. There will be a day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to earth in glory. thing is, do we believe that? And uh, do we at all ever meditate upon that? Christ coming again in glory. Is that something that at all occupies our thinking or our or informs our faith or informs our worship even informs the the daily decisions that we make is it well this evening i want us to turn our attention to that coming day that definite coming day and to consider some implications of the lord's return why well as we enter tonight into what is very definitely the second section of the book of Zechariah. It is the parousia, you know, it is the end times that are in view. So gone are those visions and the dreams of the previous chapters. They're well and truly in the background now, and and, and gone are those sort of prophecies of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. From this point on to the end of the book, Zechariah has a word for a later date, uh, a date where, yes, there will be some initial fulfillment, you know, 100, 150 years after Zechariah uh, speaks, but really he has a later word, a word about a much later future, a time where Jesus Christ will return to earth in glory. So with that said, and with our focus on the future, uh, let's notice a few things that we we learn uh, from this text. Okay, first of all, we see here that when Christ returns on that day, there will be an exposure of the lie of self-sufficiency. When Christ returns, there will be an exposure of the lie of self-sufficiency. Let's think about that. Um, I, I don't know what you, th- you thought of the text um, when Paul read it out. Even the, 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 the title, the NIV, gives it to Judgment on Israel's Enemies. I'm sure you probably agree with me that it's kind of, it's a, it's a pretty ferocious, isn't it? It's a kind of fierce uh, section of Scripture. I mean, God is portrayed here as a warrior isn't he? And he's coming in judgment, and he's, he's coming in judgment over his wicked enemies. Now, what I need you to notice, first of all, is the direction of his judgment. Do you see what happens here? Like, as with the, the previous oppressors of his people, do you see what God does? He, inv- he invades here from the north. 
Do you see, it's, it's, he's got the northernmost town of Hadrach, first of all. Then God works his way south. So he goes through the sort of coastal towns of Tyre and Sidon in judgment. Then it's further south, it's in the Philistine territories. And right at the end of the passage, he's worked his way right down to the south, down to the city of Jerusalem. Now, what I want to do here is just for us to focus on the towns and the cities given detail here. Okay? They're seen in detail. So I want you to think about Tyre and Sidon, first of all. And you remember, oh, was it two weeks ago, I, I, I was walking a, a fine line. I could have got myself in trouble a couple of weeks ago, because you remember what I said? I sort of equated Bethel with modern-day Newcastle because of Bethel's sort of reputation a wee bit for, for immorality. Uh, well, tonight when you're thinking of Tyre, and you think of Newcastle, when you think of Tyre, maybe, maybe think of you know, 19th century Liverpool, something like that. See, Tyre was a busy port. Like, Tyre was a sort of bustling coastal city. And in fact, I don't know, the description that Zechariah gives here, it kind of tells you everything you need to know about Tyre, but also about, about its inhabitants. So what does he say? Do you see it in verses 3 and 4? Give you a second just to look at that. You've got to love the imagery. It's like your, your, your granny or your great-granny might have done in the past, you know, sweeping up the dust through our house. Look what, look what Zechariah says here. He says, you know, tire heaps up silver like dust. So we're dealing here with a very sort of prosperous city. You know, Tyre is a flourishing place, wealthy place. What else do we know about it? Look at verse 3. What does he say? Tyre has built for herself a stronghold. We actually do know what that refers to. Um, at this point in time, the inhabitants of Tyre spent a whole load of time and effort building, constructing this breakwater to protect and keep their inhabitants secure. So that's what Zechariah is referring to. And then look at verse 2. Look how they're described, the population. Very skillful. Very skillful. Again, we know what that refers to. If you were from Tyre, you had a reputation. You were a streetwise person, okay? You know, people from Tyre, they were very smart, you know? They were smart when it comes to business. They were the sort of people that were able to drive a really hard bargain, okay? So did you see it? They're wealthy, they're secure, they're rich. Thing is, what the text here emphasizes in wordplay is that all of that had led to like these people in, in Tyre and Sidon, they were an arrogant people. You know, they were a people that, that saw themselves as entirely self-sufficient. They did not need God in any way. And what are we reading about here? We are reading about a future judgment upon these people because of that self-sufficiency. Now, what do we do with this? Okay, like is, is there... Tonight, London City Presbyterian Church, is there a sort of lesson for us here? Well, what I, I honestly genuinely find incredible is that soon after this prophecy, there was an initial fulfillment of the prophecy. Okay, so you've heard, everyone here has heard of Alexander the Great, I'm sure. Get this, about 150 years um, after Zechariah gives this very definite prophecy, 
Alexander the Great invaded these lands that you're reading off. Now, that's one thing. What is even more incredible is that the path, the route that Alexander the Great took in invading these lands, it follows precisely the route that is mapped out here in Zechariah. And so what do you think happened when he got to Tyre? He destroyed that place. That, that place was in just wiped out, wiped out, never to rise again to these former glories. So we've got an initial fulfillment of what we've got here. Now, that's one thing. But what I want you to do, if you've got your Bible open, is look at the title that Scripture, not the NIV, but the, that Scripture gives it. What does, what, what does God say? An oracle. Well, what I need you to understand is that that is a title often applied in Scripture when you are dealing with an eschatological portion of Scripture. You understand what I mean? So often, if a, if a portion of the Bible is looking forward to the end times, it will have this title. It will have an oracle. So do you see what that means? This here, this judgment in, of Tyre, it isn't fully fulfilled with Alexander the Great. What you've got in front of you just now is a warning about the future. Now, do you see what the warning is? Do you see it? Let me put it like this. You and I, we are living in a society that, is, that has thoroughly bought into the myth of human self-sufficiency. Isn't that the case? Isn't it true? You know, we live amongst the people who believe that they are entirely self-reliant. Isn't that the case for your work colleagues and some of your family and your friends? Like, they don't think they, they need God in any way. And isn't it also true that there are a lot of parallels between the people you live with and around and these people of Tyre? Like, think about the people in your life. Don't they spend an awful lot of time and energy and money trying to, trying to build security? You know, through bricks and mortar or investments or, or pensions and all that sort of stuff. Just like the people of Tyre here with their breakwater. And aren't the people in your life spending all the time and energy trying to accumulate wealth just like the people here? And isn't it the case that the people in your life, the be-all and end-all is their reputation? Isn't it to be seen as being smart, to be seen as being clever, to be seen as being fashionable, to be seen as being cool? Friends, I say to you tonight, do not fall into that same trap. Like we are seeing here that this idea of self-sufficiency, not only is it a myth, but what does it lead to? It leads to destruction. It leads to, to, to judgment. And so I say to you, and I, I really urge you to do this, even just now, right now as I speak, meditate upon just how dependent you are on the Lord your God. I mean, I don't know what you did this afternoon, but I do know that you are only in here tonight because the Lord God has enabled you to be here. Now, your heart is beating in your chest, and you're breathing. But that's only because God has allowed that, and God powers it, if you allow that. And I don't know, you, the, 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 
the health and the strength you need, even to wake up tomorrow morning, or certainly for the challenges that you face tomorrow and the week ahead. That's all dependent upon God's goodness and his his grace and the, the money that you need to pay that thing, that bill, and the food you need to feed your family. Every aspect of it, all of it, do you see it? All of it is... Is from God. All good things are from above. Friends, do not buy into this myth of human self-sufficiency. I, I tell you, it is a dangerous thing. What we're seeing here is when Christ returns, one thing is for sure, God will oppose the proud. But he will give grace to the humble. Secondly, we see here that on that day, that coming day, there will be the salvation of a people most unexpected. The salvation of a people most unexpected. Okay. Right, so we, we see initially in this portion of Scripture, God is acting in judgment at Tyre and Sidon. If you follow through the passage with me, you see that, that he very quickly gets into Philistine territory. So these, the names of the places like Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, travels through these places and uh, he gets to a place ca- called Ashdod. Just look at me for a moment. Remember the name Ashdod. Okay? And every, everything here in God's action in the Philistine territories, it is pointing to the certainty the certainty of God's judgment over the wicked. But then all of a sudden, you've got God acting as warrior in judgment, and then all of a sudden, there's this sort of beam of light that comes out of the text here. And there's this phrase, look at it, it it, it provides hope. If you look in the middle of verse 7, have a look at the middle of verse 7. In the midst of all this judgment, in the midst of all of this destruction, what does God say? God says this. It seems almost out of place. He says, those who are left will belong to me. They will belong to our God. Now, wait a minute, isn't that something? Like, God is saying on the, on, the, on the day of judgment, there is going to be revealed amidst, and this is the key thing, amidst all of these enemies of my people, amidst them, there is going to be revealed a remnant, my people. Now, I think... What we've got there should bring home to us God's power to save even the most unlikely people. It should bring home God's power, the power he has to save even those who seem to be enemies of his people. Do you see what I mean? Let's take Islam as an example. With the rise of ISIS and all of their military objectives and so forth, um, the world's become this sort of tense place to be. And I think we're kidding ourselves in the Christian church if we don't think that the rise of ISIS uh, provides a challenge to believers. And of course the challenge is, wait, wait a minute, what should our attitude be to the Muslim world? Like, what should our attitude be to uh, 
the Muslims that we work with, or, wait a minute, these refugees on it from Muslim lands, like what should our attitude be? Well, of course, we've got to say, we've got to preface this by saying ISIS, evil organization. Islam. Islam, of course, an ungodly religion. But all Muslims. I mean, are, 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 are we saying that we, we, we tar them all with the same brush and we is the attitude that, that they are all the enemy. <laughs> is that what we say to everyone who is a Muslim, everyone living in a Muslim land, everyone who, who we work they're the enemy. I, 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 we distance ourselves from them. Is that what we are saying is the, is the Christian viewpoint? I mean, should we not look at, at these refugees coming into Europe and, and say, they are potential converts from Christ. I mean, should, should we not look at this as an opportunity? Should we not say uh, of our Muslim colleagues and our Muslim neighbors, should we not say, well, this is a mission field? No. You see, understand this, that one of the primary messages of the verses that we are looking at here is God's power to save from false religion. Do you see that? Look at verse 7. Look what he says here. Now, you ask yourself, as I read this, what is God talking about? What is he referring to? He says, I will take the blood from their mouth. I will take the forbidden food from between their teeth. What, what, is, he, what is God talking about here? You see the message? He's saying, I, the Lord your God, have the power to change people who are mixed up in pagan idolatry. That's what he's referring to, isn't it? He's saying, I, the Lord your God, I can, I can take people from false religion and I can cleanse them. I can cleanse these people and I can insert them into a family of faith. I have that power. Now, I ask you tonight as a congregation, do you believe that? Like when you, when you think about the people most unlikely to become a Christian in your life, or if you think about the Muslims that you know, do you believe that God could really save those people? If not, what about this? Now, in the first point, we saw a, an initial fulfillment with Alexander the Great. And here we've got a prophecy of enemies being, being saved. How about this? Do you remember, as a congregation, obviously we've gone through the book of Acts in the morning services. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to ask anyone, but um, do you remember what happens in Acts chapter 8? Let's go back a wee bit. Philip, Ethiopian eunuch. Do you know the story? So the Ethiopian eunuch's in the chariot, isn't he? And Philip runs after him. And, and what's he reading? reading Isaiah 53, the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and, and Philip opens the gospel, you know, teaches in the gospel, and the Ethiopian eunuch is saved. And remember, the, the chariot stops, and they get out, and, he's, and, he's, and, he's, and he's, he's baptized. Do you remember what happens next? Philip vanishes. Remember that? Vanishes out of sight. He reappears somewhere else, and, and 
and he's, he's, he reappears, he preaches the gospel, and people are saved. Where does he reappear? A place called Azotus. Azotus is the Roman name for Ashdod. Do you see it? This prophecy here of, of God saying, amongst the most unlikely people, amongst your enemies, I'm, I'm going to save people. It's, 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 it's already initially fulfilled in the New Testament. Do you see it? But we know, what do we know? We know this is pointing forward. This is pointing to the return of Christ. Friends, hear this. When Christ returns, yes, there are going to be people uh, saved in the 21st century that rise to him from, from England and from Scotland and from and from Australia, and from America, and from Brazil. Yeah, of course that is going to happen. The glorious thing that we're seeing here is that they will be joined in the skies by people who, are, who were saved in the 21st century from, from Afghanistan, and, and from Iraq, and, and, and from Syria. People who were saved from false religion. Do you see that? God has the power to save people who, who seemed to be enemies of the people of God. So we see a, a, an exposure of the lie of, of self-sufficiency, and we see a, the salvation of a people unexpected. I just want to close with this. And we see also here that on that day when Christ returns, there will be a protection of the church by the Lord himself. The protection of the church by the Lord himself. Um, when I was a wee boy, when I was a kid, uh, I was once chased home from the local park. Uh, there was big boys there, you know? And uh, they were being mean to me. Uh, when I turned to run, I couldn't believe it, and they started to run as well. Uh, Thankfully, though, uh, my home wasn't too far away from, uh, from the local park, so I, I managed to evade them. And I remember even to this day that sort of amazing sense of safety and security when I got home. And it, was, it wasn't so much that I'd sort of got in there and closed the door behind me. It was the fact that I'd run past my dad, you know, and my dad was in the, the front garden digging. And as every wee boy knows, there's no trouble going to come to you if your dad's in the garden with a spade. You know, no chance. Now, it is the, the safety and it is the security that we are told about here that, that friends, we need, we need to look at. Now, there is this last leg of God's journey we're told of here. Now, he is warrior and he is traveling south. He's bringing judgment do you see what happens when he arrives in Jerusalem? Look at, look at verse 8. There is, there is safety for that city and those people. So he goes, and I understand this, he goes, our Lord, from acting as his judge and warrior to suddenly acting as sentry and guard. Doesn't he look at verse 8? He arrives there after all this destruction and judgment, and he says, I will encamp at my house as a guard. Now, in each of the points, I hope you see what we're trying to do tonight. In each of the points, there is initial fulfillment. Alexander the Great, Acts chapter 8. So, 
initial fulfillment of this, God's guarding of Jerusalem. Uh, Josephus, do you know the name Josephus? Mentioned a few times, he's a, a Jewish historian. He recounts for us the remainder of Alexander the Great's journey and invasion. Amazing stuff. Um, prior to this invasion, um, Alexander the Great is said to have had a dream. And uh, it was a sort of fearful dream um, where he, he says that he saw the Lord appear to him. And the thing that, 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 that stuck in Alexander's mind was the way that this figure was dressed. It was the most sort of peculiar clothing that this figure was dressed in. And there's colors, and it was very... And it was a scary dream. And it, it really threw Alexander the Great. He tries to put it out of his mind. And he invades with his armies, and he invades, and he follows this entire, and he follows it down into uh, the Philistine territories, and he arrives with his armies, and he arrives before Jerusalem, and they are ready to sack Jerusalem and to destroy it. And the gates of the city open, and there is a procession of priests, and the last person to come out of the city was the high priest of God who wanted to plead and speak to Alexander and he approaches Alexander and Alexander looks at him and the priest was dressed exactly in the high priest in elaborate robes dressed exactly in the way that Alexander had, had, had seen in the dream and Jerusalem was protected. Alexander panicked and he refused to attack the city of God. Now, hear me when I say this. In some way, I couldn't care less if you take that on. You know, it's kind of difficult to verify whether that is a true account or not. But I do need you to, to see and believe this prophecy here and to see what it means, this prophecy of security. Friends, if you are a Christian, what you are being told in Scripture tonight is such is your safety that when you enter glory, not only will the gates of that eternal city close behind you, but what will happen? The Lord your God will act as guard. That such is your security. The, the Lord Christ will be there that he will act as watchman over that eternal city. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that an incredible thing? That the, if you think about it, that in our sin, there was a flaming sword of God, wasn't there, that barred our entry into Eden? Yes. But in our salvation, what happens? There is this sword of God making sure that we do not come to, to any harm whatsoever. That what Christ has done for you in facing your enemies is he has purchased on the cross an unending security, a, a sort of a knowledge of which is only going to deepen and deepen into eternity. Do, do you see it? The Lord, your God, Christ Jesus is your guard, your sentry, your, your watchman. Now, what, 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 what do we do with that? Is there anything we do with that? I suggest two things. One, for the Christian here, 
Surely that fuels the fires of your worship. What Christ has done for you, what Christ is going to do for you, that the, you remember the previous prophecy of this book, it's going to come true that the Lord himself will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem. Does that not lead you to, to praise Christ Jesus, to look forward with joy and anticipation to the time that he is going to come back? But the other thing, second thing, for the person who isn't a Christian, for the person who hasn't professed faith, listen to me. Does this, does it not make you eager to be right with God? That, that, that when Christ returns, that he's going to protect his people and only his people. Doesn't it make you eager to know Jesus? See, you understand me. You listen to me just now. See, when that comes, that day when Christ returns, and it will happen, it will be a catastrophe for you to be outside the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? Do you understand that it will be a fearful and an awful thing that day to be found north of Jerusalem by rebellion, by unbelief? Do you, do you not see that? Friends, surely, given the grace and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, surely tonight you want to close with him. Surely you need to come to Jesus Christ in faith this evening. If you do know this, on that day, that, that last day, if you close with Christ tonight, know this, that Christ and glory and peace and safety, it will be eternally Let's pray.